Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic. Chapter 5. Lucky Sola's Civil War. Z. Last week, we met the famous Marius. Marius had been elected consul an unprecedented six times to end the crises that threatened the Republic. This was breaking the law, but the threat was so great that it was felt necessary. For a time, Marius was large and in charge, and had the most power in Octoritas of any politician. Despite this, more recently, he had fallen into the backdrop of Roman politics. Marius no longer dominated the Republic, as he had before his role in the deaths of his former supporters, Saturninus and Glacia. Even during the social war with the Italians, his actions were not particularly noteworthy. In his prime, Marius was a very skilled commander, but wasn't considered so during the social war. Even at his peak, he was never a skilled politician. Now an old man, he was out of the limelight. This week, we focus on one of Marius's former subordinates. While Marius won the war against King Jugurtha of Numidia, it was Lucius Cornelius Sola who orchestrated the betrayal of King Jugurtha by his ally and captured him. During this period, it was Sola who was on the rise. His actions were far more notable during the social war, victorious in southern Italy against the rebels. Sola, now a proven commander, was elected consul for 88 BCE. Our essential question you want to keep in mind this episode is what is the benefit of controlling an army? As the social war with the Italians ended, and Rome gave them citizenship, far away from Rome and Italy, King Mithridates VI of Pontus was hatching a scheme. King Mithridates resented Roman dominance. His kingdom was in modern northern Turkey, and while independent of Rome, was inferior to the Republic's might. To carve out greater territory for himself, Mithridates attacked an ally to Rome, the Kingdom of Bithynia. Bithynia was a client kingdom, and Bithynia's king was allowed to hold his throne so long as he was subordinate to Rome's will. However, since Rome's allied king was attacked, Rome was compelled to help him. We come to honor that allegiance. The Roman governors of Asia and Cilicia attempted to rally their forces, but were defeated by King Mithridates' capable armies and commanders. Rome's province of Asia fell to him, and Mithridates ordered the massacre of Romans and Italians in the province. While the figure of 80,000 killed is likely exaggerated, it got Rome's attention, as did Mithridates' expansion into the Macedonian province and into Greece. The Senate decided that Sola should clean up this mess. Sola was a proven commander during the social war, so the Senate trusted him to repel Mithridates from Roman territory. Sola was no doubt excited for the opportunity to tell Mithridates, Get off my lawn. Sola came from an old aristocratic family that had gone undistinguished for some time. Through years of competent commanding, holding the magistries of quaestor, praetor, then consul, and making friends in the Senate, now was Sola's opportunity to bring glory and octoritas to his family's name and plunder the wealthy East. Sola was not the only one hungry for profit and had no trouble raising volunteers to fight for him. But just when things were about to go so right for Sola, it went so wrong. The tribune Sulpicius Rufus gathered common Roman citizens for a vote, a classic populares move. Sulpicius had the Romans vote. Would you rather have Sola lead or the famous, proven? Six-time consul, Marius. By popular vote, the Romans voted to give command of the war to Marius, robbing Sola. 
Let's not forget, Marius was still a famous general who had defended Rome from the Cimbri and Teutone barbarians. Marius had defended Romans back then and could defend Rome now against King Mithridates. For anyone stupid enough to think the 69-year-old Marius had actually peaked, Marius wanted it to be clear. Peaked? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I haven't even begun to peak. And when I do peak, you'll know. Because I'm going to peak so hard that everybody is going to feel it. I'm in my prime. The old Marius and the Tribune Sulpicius enjoyed a symbiotic relationship, like a shark and remora. For Marius, Sulpicius was a new Saturninus Serglossia, passing laws for his benefit, while cloaked as a good popularis reformer like the Gracchi, to the manipulated masses. For Sulpicius, while Marius was not as popular as he once was, he still held some clout. If Sulpicius scratched his back, Marius would scratch his. For Marius, power came with command. Victorious in a war against King Mithridates, he would return to Rome as a heroic defender of the Republic a popular heroic defender of the Republic. This was, of course, a great insult to Sola. He was a consul, and his command was ripped from him. His dignity, pride, and auctoritas was insulted, and anyone would understand his resentment. Sulpicius' actions weren't illegal, using the people to supplant the Senate's decision, just as the Gracchi had done before him. Nonetheless, traditional optimate politics never would have allowed this to happen. Sola was disrespected. Marius had just stolen a great opportunity from him and the soldiers Sola had gathered to fight for him. Sola and Marius basically had this exchange. You think you could steal from us and just walk away? Yeah. Marius would soon raise legions for a rich war, just as Sola had already done. But before Marius could create his army, Sola took his own loyal legions and marched to invade the city of Rome. Sola was going to use his army to free the Republic from those who had unjustly taken it over, from those who had unjustly ripped away his command, his glory, and his army's opportunity. And so, for the first time in Roman history, a Roman general, at the head of a Roman army, would march upon Rome to take control. Sola went. Two praetors confronted Sola's approaching army to stop a hostile takeover of the city. They were manhandled and their authority ignored. Senators asking for negotiations were also ignored and Sola and his men kept marching. Other Roman commanders and officials had time to respond by bringing their own forces to defend the city from Sola's advance, yet none impeded him. These commanders were either too scared or tacitly sided with the disrespected Sola and found Sulpicius's and Marius's conduct intolerable. Marius and Sulpicius raised a small force to defend Rome, but they didn't compare to Sola's army. As Sola entered Rome, there was fighting in the streets, houses were burned, and Sola's army handedly took control of the city, crushing Marius's and Sulpicius's forces. Sola was victorious and told his army, We saved the city! Sola declared Sulpicius, Marius, and up to a dozen other popularist politicians as public enemies outside the protection of the law. Marius would escape to northern Africa, welcomed by a colony of his veterans, happy to house their old general fallen on hard times. In the meantime, Sola took care to pass laws to his advantage. It was the populares who screwed him over, so Sola went in a hard optimate direction. He added 300 members to the Senate, making the body a total of 600 men. He also cracked down on populares. 
Solon required that the Senate had to approve of all proposals. No longer could a tribune override the Senate's decision by a popular vote, just as Sola's command had been. If anyone wanted to stop Sola, it would have been a death sentence. This was Sola's civil war on Rome. Sola was a general with an army in the streets, declaring his enemies an enemy of the Republic. Sola allowed the election of Lucius Cornelius Cinna to the consulship. Cinna and Sola were enemies, but Cinna swore not to undo the new laws. As for the outlaws, they all escaped Sola's justice, save for the tribune Sulpicius. Sulpicius' slave turned on him, killing his master. Sola freed the slave, then had him tossed down the Tarpeian rock for disloyalty. Sola, the conservative optimist, respected traditional laws. His rightful command restored after seizing the city, and the Republic's enemies driven out or killed, Sola left Rome with his army to fight his war with King Mithridates. Roman blood was shed, but Sola was justified to save the Republic from the populares and save his auctoritas. Sola had restored the peace, made his merry way to meet Mithridates in melee, and left Cinna in charge who would not tamper with the peace he made. Cinna immediately began to tamper with the peace Sola made and tried to overturn Sola's laws. Congratulations. You played yourself. Sola's supporters in Rome, none too thrilled that Cinna immediately reneged on his oath, drove Cinna out of Rome into Italy. Cinna found a Roman army with nothing to do without a social war. Cinna convinced this army to march with him and allied himself with Marius, who gathered himself an army of volunteers in Africa. The pair pulled a Sola and went and marched their Roman armies upon the city of Rome. Rome's only hope of not being overrun was General Pompey Strabo, the other star of the social war who still commanded an army in Italy. Pompey Strabo sat with his army as Sola marched on Rome. Now the independent general had to choose to defend Rome or march with Marius and Cinna. Pompey Strabo appealed to both sides to get the best deal possible because I'm playing both sides so that I always come out on top. But only angered both sides in the process. Pompey Strabo ultimately sided against Cinna and Marius and sent aid to the Roman consul Gnaeus Octavius, who was defending Rome from Cinna and Marius. Nonetheless, Marius and Cinna still overran the city and defeated Pompey's and Octavius's forces. Pompey Strabo had already died of disease, but a far worse fate waited for Gaius Octavius, who had defied Marius and Cinna and was now in their hands. Just as Sola had previously demonstrated, if you had an army in Rome, you could do whatever you wanted to your enemies, and to oppose Marius and Cinna would be a death sentence. As such, Consul Octavius was executed, his head displayed for all to see. Any other opponent to Marius and Cinna were killed too. A few were given sham trials, but most were killed on sight. It's on sight yeah. The brutality of Marius and Cinna's march on Rome far exceeded Sola's. Other heads would join Octavius's on display, bodies thrown in the Tiber River. The two would burn down Sola's house, though his family was able to escape to Greece to join him. But Marius and Cinna were pretty happy to be in power, congratulating themselves. We saved the city! Marius and Cinna would be elected consuls of 86 BCE. In life, Marius was a skilled general, but less so a politician. Nonetheless, for his skill as a general, he was the most famous and powerful Roman of a generation. After his fall from grace, he spent his twilight years desperately trying to reclaim his glory through military conquest as he had done before. Ironically, in his last campaign, he launched a civil war on Rome itself. 
You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Not long after taking control, and being elected consul for a seventh time, old Marius died. Cinna controlled Rome with his army. The Senate was powerless to prevent his re-elections to the consulship, yet tried to function as they traditionally did. As much as Cinna insisted that he was leading the Republic in a traditional way, he clung to power. He was consecutively re-elected consul without a 10-year gap. This is of course antithetical to the Republic's values that no one to have all that power. But none of that mattered, because Cinna was the one with an army in Rome. Cinna maintained that Sola was an enemy of the state, while Sola argued the opposite, that he was the legally elected magistrate and Cinna was the true enemy. Cinna was re-elected to the consulship up until 84 BCE, when he was killed in a mutiny by his army. Sola obviously knew what was happening in Rome, his enemies dismantling all his work, but he had a war with King Mithridates to tend to, first by liberating the city of Athens from his rule. Once he had Athens in 86 BCE, it was his base of operations to push King Mithridates out of Roman territory. The war progressed well for Sola, however in 85 BCE, Cinna attempted to rip away his success by sending Lucius Valerius Flaccus at the head of an army to relieve Sola of command and finally crush Mithridates. Sola intercepted the army, brought Flaccus' senior officers to his side, and took control of Flaccus' army. Sola said, Well, that was a freebie. Flaccus was killed by one of his officers, and the size of Sola's forces increased. In 85 BCE, Sola defeated King Mithridates. Mithridates had caused a lot of trouble for Rome, threatening Roman influence in the east and killing many Romans in his expansion. Fortunately for Mithridates, the victorious Sola had other things on his mind. Knowing there was a war he had to wage once in Italy, Sola allowed Mithridates to keep his kingdom of Pontus and life in exchange for giving up his captured territory, vast reparations paid to Sola, and a fleet so he could get his army to Italy. Mithridates took the deal, and Sola and his army were on the way back home. Sola pulled a Sola, and began his march on Rome when he landed in Italy in 83 BCE with his with his renegade army. This kicked off Sola's second civil war. Marius and Cinna were already dead, and Sola's opposition had no leaders as powerful or influential as them, though they did have Marius the Younger, the old Marius's son. While Marius the Younger had Rome, the massive army and advantage was with Sola, Allying with Sola was the politically savvy decision for many. A young Gnaeus Pompey, son of Pompey Strabo, would by his own volition raise two legions from his own pocket. Forming a private army was illegal, as Pompey had no authority to raise an army and wasn't even a senator. Still in his early 20s, the young Pompey offered his service and illegal army to Sola and joined him on his second march to Rome. Marcus Licinius Crassus was another young man who joined Sola. Crassus's father was killed by Marius and Cinna, and Crassus had to flee Italy. Crassus now returned with Sola, seeking revenge. Sola's savagery, as he took Rome a second time, is almost mythic. Sola was almost beaten outside the calling gate of Rome by Italian forces, but his life and the battle was saved by Crassus. Sola then executed the defeated, imprisoned Italian soldiers who fought him. It was said their screams could be heard inside the Senate House, where Sola was addressing his esteemed colleagues. When Marius the Younger's head was presented to the victorious general, Sola allegedly advised the young Marius's head, first you must learn to pull an oar, 
only then can you take the helm. By 82 BCE, Sola was once again large and in charge of Rome. For the first time in 100 years, a dictator was named. Sola became dictator in 81 BCE. In the state of emergency Rome found itself in, Sola's authority exceeded the will of consuls, praetors, tribunes, and the senate. While previously, dictators held office for a limited time, usually about six months, Sola set no limit for himself. With control of a powerful army, Sola had no need for restraint, and no politician had the power to challenge a military dictatorship. Sola's legal power was unmatched and unprecedented, as was the violence he used to achieve it. Sola again passed laws for his benefit. He started packing the now 600-man senate with loyalists to him. He increased the number of praetors from 6 to 8, and made it so tribunes could no longer propose new laws or ever hold a higher office. He made it illegal for governors to lead their armies outside their territory without senatorial approval. Furthermore, he formalized that consuls could not succeed themselves in office and must wait 10 years between consulships. Sola's optimate thrashing of the tribunes ensured there would be no more radical popularis gracchi or opportunists like Saturninus, Glossia, and Sulpicius, who manipulated populism and the popular will. His reforms to the consulship ensured there would never be another Marius elected seven times. Sola punished the Italians who had supported Marius and Cinna, relieving Italian communities of their land and giving it to his loyal veterans. But to truly ensure the safety of his reformed republic, Sola needed to be sure his enemies, the remaining supporters of Marius and Cinna, were dead. Sola introduced a list of 80 names of men who were prescribed. A person prescribed was outside the protection of the law, and their heads would warrant a nice sum for the killer. The prescribed man's property would be confiscated and auctioned at a fraction of its value. Who wants to report for a prescribed man's children were barred from serving in politics in the future, ensuring Sola and his allies would face no retribution. What started as a death list of 80 names would over the course of a year expand to up to 1,600. Most were rich Romans, some were senators. However, a few of the prescribed were just wealthy men whose properties Sola desired. Slaves killed masters, friends killed friends, and family turned on family for profit and to please Sola. Many were killed in this short period of prescriptions, and Roman society was damaged by it. The fear scarred into the Roman conscience. The prescription lists were sent outside of Rome, so fugitives were not even safe in the Italian countryside, liable to be killed by a stranger for profit. Killers got their reward, and Sola and his loyalists reaped the benefits of buying the dead man's cheap property at auction. While many suffered and were killed by his decree, Sola's life was going gangbusters. For all his luck, he added Felix to his name. Sola Felix. Sola the Fortunate. Sola the Lucky. It was Sola Felix who could proudly tell his army and loyalists, We saved the city! Sola's dictatorship was a precursor to how the Roman Empire would work. He built himself a new house and was by far the wealthiest man in the Republic. From the comfort of his own home, he and his enriched associates, like Pompey and Crassus, could administer the Republic. The young Pompey and Crassus became very powerful very quickly. Sola advanced their careers for their loyalty and ability. This being the start of their political careers, they were in a good place, 
having allied themselves with a victorious mass murderer, Pompey and Crassus would have decades longer to further enrich themselves and accumulate their own power. It would be Sola who called young Pompey, Pompey Magnus, Pompey the Great. Sola was only a dictator, not emperor. His son would have been too young to succeed him as emperor, and Romans still hated men with absolute power and could only tolerate a dictatorship for a limited time. Sola was only able to hold his dictatorship for however long he wanted because his army was a sword over everyone else's throat. Still, Rome was not ready for absolute power to be passed from father to son. Once Sola's work was done, taking land from the Italians to settle his loyal veterans, and reforming the Republic as he saw just, an ultimate vision with power resting in the Senate over the people, Lucky Sola gave up his dictatorship. He had only been dictator for a year, and had murdered a lot of people, I mean accomplished a lot of things. Sola was out of politics, retired away from Rome, wrote his memoirs, drank, partied, and was dead not too long after. He had a grand funeral in Rome, with a statue to remain. On his tomb was inscribed, no man ever did more good for his friends, or harm to his enemies. Our essential question this episode was, what is the benefit of controlling an army? Pause if you'd like to consider your own answer. Looking at the actions of Marius, Cinna, and Sola, a politician could use their loyal army to strong-arm control of the Republic. Sola was the first Roman general to use his loyal army upon Rome, but within six years, Roman generals had taken control of the city and politics three times. A man with a loyal army could dictate Roman politics to his will. A loyal army granted unmatched power to a general, allowing him to shape the laws to his advantage and destroy his enemies. In Marius and Sola's competitive pursuits of leadership in Arcturitas, we see competition tearing the Republic apart. Both men were very ambitious, and rose high in their lives. Marius was a novus homo, who started with nothing, from an undistinguished family who defended the Republic and was consul seven times. Sola, the patrician of an unaccomplished house, also had to earn his own acclaim, and wrestle back his command from those who stole from him and would become dictator. When each stood in each other's way of accomplishing their goal, they didn't hesitate to tear the other down and kill his enemy's allies. Simply put by Adrian Goldsworthy, this series of civil wars, just like later ones, had little to do with conflicting ideology or policies, but were violent extensions of the traditional competition between individuals. Marius and Sola competed to be the greatest and most famous Roman of their lifetime. To actually accomplish that, however, they would have to tear the other down. Once one of them had power, they shaped the Republic to best maintain power. While Sola may have thought the end of a restored and reformed Republic justified the civil wars he launched, his reforms were not to last, nor was his peace. Next episode, we see how the Republic is coping after Sola and the emerging careers of two of his closest supporters, Gnaeus Pompey Magnus and Marcus Licinius Crassus. You can follow the show at dotrrpod on Twitter, where I share out Roman history memes, some additional education sources, and some other fun stuff about Roman history. Go ahead and check it out if you like. Come for the facts. Stay for the fun. Feel free to subscribe and rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show via email, you can email dotrrpod at gmail.com. That's dotrrpod at gmail.com to contact the show. Thank you for listening. All that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, 
I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you.